Greetings, my friends, and welcome to the StoryQ podcast. I'm your humble host, Frank Erickson. Thank you for checking in with us. We are leading up to the 4th of July weekend, and we're all excited to celebrate Independence Day. And of course, this weekend and, and the 4th of July, it's one of the biggest barbecue weekends of the year. And I know everybody's going to get their grills out, their smokers, and uh, be cooking up everything from your good old American hot dog to ribs and brisket and chicken and everything in between. So we're looking forward to that just as much as you are. And we just want to encourage you to have a great weekend. Be very safe around fires and fireworks and all those things so that you can be back with us next week. We're going to keep this segment of the podcast very short and sweet. We know you don't want to spend time glued to your computer listening to a podcast, so we're going to keep this really quick and get right into our interview. And that is with Malcolm Reed of Killer Hogs. They're a competition barbecue team out of Tennessee. They've competed in both Memphis and May competitions, Kansas City Barbecue Society competitions. They've competed all over the country and done well all over the country. But the neat thing is, as you'll hear Malcolm tell you, they started out as just backyard cooks, got encouraged, tried a couple of amateur contests, got a couple of calls, and next thing, they were hooked. You know, if you're a backyard cook like I am, you probably have thought about maybe going out and competing in an amateur contest and, you know, seeing how good your food really is out there on the barbecue circuit. So I think after you hear Malcolm's words, I think you'll be encouraged to possibly try, go ahead and try that. So without further ado, let's get right into our conversation with Malcolm Reed of Killer Hogs Competition Barbecue Team. Malcolm, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Frank. Good to hear from you, man. Well, it's good to hear your voice, and I know you're a busy guy, and I want to say right off the bat, thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule to uh, visit with us here on the StoryQ podcast. Appreciate it very much. Hey, anytime, man. I'm always glad to talk barbecue, and so <laughs> I can always take time out of my day for that. Well, I have been enjoying your videos on YouTube, and um, before we get into to some of that stuff, I want to ask you, first of all, how your barbecue competition team, the Killer Hogs, got started? Well, we started um, back in 2001. Uh, the town we live in, South Haven, um, has had a barbecue contest for years. I can remember going to it as a kid, and you know, we just played around while the adults did all the cooking, and they had a big carnival and all that. So it's always been a fun atmosphere. Um, when we were in college, um, actually a friend of mine's dad had a team called Killer Hogs. And he invited us out. Some of the guys that uh, he would cook with had stepped away from it. He needed a little help. And he asked us if we were interested in, in cooking barbecue. So uh, we jumped in, not really knowing a whole lot about it. And um, we kind of learned from uh, learned a little bit along the way and had a lot of fun. But we were just really out there just because it was a big party. Um, and then me and my brother kind of took the name Killer Hogs over from a friend, uh, from that same team because uh, Mr. Dave retired, and we decided that we wanted to cook another year because it was just a one-time thing, and we didn't want to have a big party. <laughs> so the Killer Hogs were kind of known as a party team when we first got going, and I guess uh, 2001 was our first time to really kind of get serious a little bit. We we lucked up and. And in the backyard competition, we were cooking ribs at the time, and I think we got a third-place call. We might have got a call in sauce, but after that, we were hooked. So we kind of just went on a tear where we started anywhere there was a backyard contest, we would go cook. Um, we, you know, we cooked all over the South and Alabama and Georgia, of course, Mississippi and Tennessee and Arkansas. And it just started out in, as an amateur. And um, I guess we did that for the first five years. 
And in 2006, we decided that we wanted to give Memphis a May a shot because they had what's called the patio division. And that's kind of uh, where the amateurs go before you turn pro. And so we entered the we entered that division at Memphis and May the first time, and we we lucked up and won grand there. So all of a sudden they said you got to turn pro now. So we, our professional career started right there. So that's kind of our story on getting going. So you were pretty much successful right out of the gate. I mean, winning even the amateur division at Memphis and May that is no easy task. It's definitely not easy. There's usually about sixty teams that are vying for it, and you know you have to. You have to really be on, on your game when you go in there um, at any time. You know, Memphis and May is kind of the world championship, the biggest pork contest on the planet. So there's a lot of serious cooking going on, and we, we were re- very fortunate. You know, there's a, there's a lot of skill that goes with this uh, competitive barbecue, but it's also a lot of luck, too. And, and it so happened that day, um, I guess the stars aligned for us. Now, are you still cooking uh, Memphis and May each year? We've cooked it every year since 2006. So this was our, I guess, 10th time to be down um, at Memphis in May. And we've, we started out, you know, in the patio, of course, and then we moved to the rib division and cooked that a couple of years. Um, the highest we ever finished was about 11th place, just one spot off walking the stage in the rib division. And then we cooked whole hog division a couple of years, and we've been shoulder for the past, I guess, five. And we've walked uh, four of those five years. We've walked the stage with, with our highest finish being uh, fourth place. So we're, we're still chasing that, that world championship. We're not going to give up till we get it, Frank. That's the attitude. I have been to Memphis in May. What does it take to set up? How, how long before the actual contest on Friday, Saturday, how long do you get there to start setting up your area from Memphis in May? Well, Memphis in May is really different than a lot of contests. I mean, they have team load-in the week before the actual event ever starts. Um, so, so we start usually on the Saturday before Memphis in May, uh, loading our trailers in, parking them, getting them set. And then you have two or three days to build your booth, basically. And the, when I say build your booth, people go all out. I mean, you, of course, you got some people that just bring a grill and set up a couple pop-up tents. But the majority of these, the majority of the teams are – are putting down floors and building structures on them. And there's even two and three story scaffolding structures uh, that people set up in the park. So it takes time. And, you know, there's almost 300 teams that compete in Memphis and May. So there's a lot of logistic work to be done to get everybody in and ready to go for the next week's contest. So that, that's kind of um, the reason why it takes so long. And they actually, I guess, start allowing visitors in the park on Wednesday evening. They have a, what's called a friends and family night. That's kind of where the teams can, you know, entertain for their, their team members and family of them. And then on Thursday morning, it opens to the public and it's, it goes on till Saturday evening. I was there, I think it was 2007 or 2008, and I could not believe the kind of setups that people had. There were, there were some setups that had two stories that were two stories tall. There was some that had an actual bar like you would find in a restaurant set up and they had the coolers and and the refrigeration and tables and chairs and lights and of course the smokers and the barbecues and it it just kind of amazed me of to what length and uh, to what depth people went to to get set up for this festival it was was just incredible there's nothing else like it you're absolutely right i mean until you really went and witnessed memphis and night for yourself you don't get the 
you don't get the idea of just how big it is and what people are doing down there. But it's a sight to behold. You know, they, uh, Tomway Park's almost a mile long between the bridges down there on Riverside Drive in Memphis, right on the banks of the river. And there's teams from one end to the other of the park. And it's hard. It's really hard to see everything. I mean, one day you will be wore out by the time you walk from the south end to the north end, I promise you. Were you guys successful right out of the gate once you turned pro, or did it take a while before you started nailing down grand championships and reserve grands and getting calls? It I mean, it really takes a while. I mean, there's there's I don't I mean I guess some people are fortunate enough to start out winning right out the gate, but with us it was kind of a learning experience. And being where we're from, right outside of Memphis and DeSoto County, there's so many good barbecue teams and and world champions that, that, that live right here. And we were competing against these guys from day one. So you really didn't have a choice but to get good or you're just going to get laughed out of the park. So that's kind of that's kind of our story. I mean, we, we took our lumps just like anybody. We didn't win. We didn't win straight out there. You know, we there's a lot of contests we drove eight hours for and we wouldn't even get a call. And those are the ones that, you know, that make you rethink what you're doing and all the money you're investing in it and the time. But but once you get home and get unpacked and get cleaned up, you're usually ready to go again the next weekend anyway. We're kind of, it's, a, it's an addiction for us, you know. <laughs> I understand that for sure. Now that you've been around for a while, what's your favorite contest? Well, it probably still goes back to, to Memphis in May or the Jack. We've been lucky enough to go to the Jack twice, and that's just like nothing else being up there in Lynchburg. It's, it's, a, you know, it's kind of a family event, too, and everybody that comes is so nice, and there's they have that big dinner up on the hill at the distillery, and it's, there's just a really cool scenery there uh, in Lynchburg in the fall. But Memphis and May is on that list uh, as being one of the, the favorites that we have. What are you cooking on with your contest right now? What are your What are your smokers? Well, I have three on my barbecue trailer right now that we take to every KCBS contest. Um, I have an old Hickory CTO. Uh, for the dry heat, we cook our briskets on that, and then I have a backwoods uh, vertical upright water smoker, and we cook our pork on that. Uh, I really like that moist environment for cooking that pork and getting that bark nice and uh, set. And which backwoods model do you have? I have the competitor, and then I have, um, I know you've probably seen these ugly drums, and there's a lot of guys cooking on them now, but we use one for a chicken. Um, that's and that, that's the three I take, and I love that high heat that I can get on that drum, and it really puts a good flavor on the, on the chicken. Do you have one that you that that wins more consistently than the other? Well, ours is kind of a process. I mean, we use all three. I wouldn't say that one wins more consistently on the, than another one, but um, you know, we we use all three of them as tools to to get us those calls at each contest. I mean. If I had to pick one that I was going to go to bat with and only take one cooker, I'd probably pick that old Hickory CTO just because it's the versatility of it and the, the way it holds temperature. It doesn't use a lot of, of charcoal and wood. Um, now if, if you give me the choice of picking two, I'm bringing that backwards with me because I, like I like that moist environment. So, so really, I think it's, it's a product of, of what you learn to cook on and get used to. Uh, that's kind of our system. Um, there's a lot, you know, a lot of smokers out there and, and you can, you can cook winning barbecue on just about anything. You know, it's all about learning that smoker and putting in that time and, and getting that product to turn out just right where those judges are going to give you those high scores. What advice would you give to a comp team that's just getting out into, let's say this is their first season in barbecue competition or a couple of guys or a couple of gals that are thinking about getting into competition? 
Well, the I mean, it's kind of I don't know. I, I would I would say a, a three prong attack because I believe the what's going to make you better is practice. So you can practice at home, but until you get out there and do a few contests and get used to that timeline and, and get under a live action situation, you know you're not gonna you're not gonna know how you perform. So getting out there and cooking is one part of it. And then um, I'm, you know we teach classes and there's a lot of good classes out there. I really if, if you're gonna be serious about barbecue and you want to get ahead of the curve, go out to a class and see what some of these guys that are that are doing it every week and you know take some advice from them. I mean, there's a lot of good information on the internet, but uh, I think you know what you get at one of these classes is is really important. And then the last part, I would suggest going and getting certified to be a judge. And when you're not cooking, go judge a few contests because you you kind of not only do you get to see the boxes and taste the food, but you get to interact with these other judges and you can kind of uh, pick their brains while you're sitting at those tables and see why they're giving the scores they're giving because. This uh, competition cooking is not so much about who can cook the best barbecue. It's who can cook the best barbecue that those judges are going to score good. Because what you and I think is good might not mean what the judges think is good. So you have to learn that, that really that you're cooking for them and what they're scoring good in your area. That brings up another question that, um, about competition barbecue. Last week I was talking to a good friend of mine who lives uh, out here, Jason Ganahl of GQ Barbecue, and they were the Rocky Mountain – Barbecue Association Team of the Year, and they've done very well at uh, at contests all over the place. And I asked him about judging. He's also judged a few events, and I asked, you know, are you cooking for the judges, or are you or are you cooking what you just? This is what I cook, and and that's the way it is. Or do you or do you kind of kind of turn things around? Let's say if you were cooking at Memphis in May, and then you came out to Colorado, or you were at the, uh, let's say, uh, the American Royal, would you cook differently? Yes, we, we change it up depending on the regions. I mean, <clears throat> the judges, are, you know, in certain areas of the country, they're used to certain things. I mean, some some of them like uh, that hickory smoke. Some of them like, you know, the fruitier woods. Some of them like more salt. Some of them like it spicier. It just depends. You got to really do your homework and to where the area of where you're cooking, and see what see what barbecue is scoring the best out in those areas. You can't just stick with the same flavors, the same sauces wherever you go. I mean, it may work sometimes, but it really, if you put in that homework and do that research of of what that region's barbecue is like, you'll do better adjusting to that. I know you uh, now distribute your own rubs and sauces, and I want to talk about that in just a minute. But are you using those most of the time, or do you have special, or do you tweak those a little bit for a different region that you're cooking in? Well, we always use our rubs and sauces, but yes, we tweak them too. Um, you know, depending on where we're at. Say if we're over in Georgia cooking, that, that peach profile does really well. So we may add some peach wood. Then we we may also add some uh, peach preserves that we cook down and strain to our sauce to give us a little bit of that profile. Or we may add a little bit, uh, you know, more spice to our rub to give it some heat if we're, if we're uh, out west or, you know, over in the Texas area where they like it a little bit spicier. Um, it's just small tweaks that we do. We still use our rubs and our sauces. And, you know, we use other people's stuff too. I mean, there's, I don't think there's one rub that that's the be-all, end-all. That, that that's the only thing you need to put on your product uh, to win, because a lot of the, a lot of the stuff we use, um, you know, it's we're trying to get that perfect one bite for the judge, and it takes a combination of of rubs and spices and sauces to really get there. And you'll find that um, a lot of the guys that that are really successful in it, uh, 
most of them's not going to tell you what they're doing, but a lot of them are using, you know, more combinations of stuff to really get those uh, winning flavor profiles. Well, as we just mentioned, you uh, you have your own rub and barbecue sauce on the market. How did that come about? Well, it's kind of funny how that came about because you know we, we st- when we were cooking MBN contests or Memphis and May style contests, uh, we had to make a lot of sauce and rub because you cook a lot more meat than you do when you uh, cook KCBS contest. Um, we're cooking like you know eighteen racks of ribs for a contest and eight whole pork shoulders and a whole hog. Well, it takes a lot of sauce and rub. So for the contest we were cooking, we were having to spend that time during the week making our rubs and making our sauces. That was just that was what we developed. To, we would serve those rubs and sauces to the on-site judges, and they were always tasting them, and, and we were doing real well with it. It took a lot of years to get our rubs and sauce where we wanted them. And when we started uh, adding more contests, people found out that we were doing it, friends, and, and they would say, hey, man, make me, you know, make me a few pounds of rubs when you make rubs, or make me a couple quarts of sauce when you make sauce this week. And it got to the point where I was making so much in my kitchen. I said, man, something's got to give. I'm, I'm spending all this time making sauce and rub. And I had a, I had a good friend uh, that, you know, from here in our area that, that was getting his rubs and sauces bottled. And I, you know, I asked uh, my buddy, Mark Lambert, I said, man, we're, you know, do you have any suggestions on uh, talking to somebody and maybe help me out getting this rub made? Because I really need to make it to keep to give me some time with no intentions of selling it or anything like that. And so he put me in touch with the uh, co-packer and we worked with them and we got our rub bottled and, and it, it saved me a lot of time. And then we just kind of over the years, we built up our customer base and people started selling it. So we put it on our website and now we've, you know, we've, we've got a bunch of wholesalers buying it and I've got the Bass Pro put in their stores and Ace Hardware's and it's just kind of, growed and growed and growed until um, you know it's, it's all over the country now in the process of bringing your products to market did you find it difficult or would you encourage somebody who's thinking of going down that trail to go ahead and take the leap well i went about it really the slow way i mean it's a big investment um to come right out of the gate and try to to try to get into the retail side of of uh selling sauce and rubs and there's not a lot of profit in it trust me i wish there was but, um, you know, if you're willing to put in the time and to work with a food broker and to, and to put a large investment in it and to not see any return for the first couple of years, I would say go for it. But that was, you know, the way we did it, we just did it slow and we added, you know, we sold it ourselves and then we, we kind of got it out there slow. Uh, and we didn't, depend on, we didn't depend on that income, uh, you know, to support my family. So it kind of worked out. And now it's getting to the point to where I can see it. Um, five, six years later where I would say, yeah, it's really worth it now because it, it's, um, you know, I'm selling a couple thousand pounds every month. So, you know, that, that really works out great. Where can our Story Q podcast listeners buy your rub? Um, our, ours can be found on the web, of our website, of course, uh, howtobbqright.com or killerhogs.com. You can also find it in Bass Pro stores. You can find it in a lot of your local lace hardware stores carry it. Um, it's on Amazon, and there's a, a lot of the barbecue stores out there also wholesaling my rub, uh, like the Barbecue Pro Shop, the Barbecue Superstore. Um, you know, those, those are just some of the ones that they come off right at the top of my head. But there's a lot of guys that are, are helping me out and buying it for me and putting it in their stores too. It must have felt good when you when you saw that first jar of rub and first bottle of barbecue sauce with your logo on it, and and the label right there and sitting there, and that must have made you feel really neat. Oh man, it's kind of surreal. You know, you walk in the store and you see your stuff, and, 
it's funny. I get I get uh, text messages and emails all the time, and people find it in stores in their hometown, and and I've even seen it in a lot of places that I don't know because <laughs> people work for uh, you know my co-packers uh, also work in distributing it, so I don't really have an idea of every store that it's in. They just they do a good job of spreading it around the country. So it showed up in some places. It's even showed up overseas. I had no idea <laughs> that it was in uh, New Zealand. They had it for sale on a shelf at a hardware store over there. So that that was pretty cool. Well, you may have to change the name of your team now to Worldwide Killer Hogs. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what do you cook on in your backyard? I, you know, recently I've uh, kind of uh, partnered with Green Egg. So I've got a big Green Egg XL out there that I've, I've recently started cooking on. Um, I have a drum out there that, that I keep, and I've got a Yoder uh, pellet smoker that I keep outside. And uh, I've got a Weber 22-inch Weber, and I've got a propane grill coming too. So my wife, my wife gets pretty mad at me with all the grills I have out back. But uh, I've pretty, I've got a selection. But you know, I do a lot of cooking, and I, you know, I do for my videos and for my blog. Um, I, I, I try to mix it up. I don't want to be the guy that's cooking on the same thing every single time he does something. So uh, I love learning, and, and you know, my my whole thing is I don't know it all. Uh, I will, I'll be the first to tell you that I, I'm constant learning. I just like to spread what I've learned along the way. I do a lot of experimenting, and, and I like to, you know, think that I can cook on just about anything. So and I think that's what barbecue is. You know, it's not it's not that you have to have a certain kind of smoker or use a certain kind of fuel source or, or a certain kind of wood to, to achieve good barbecue because ultimately barbecue is just fire and smoke and meat. So. That's that's kind of the way I am. I'm, I'm a purist when it comes to that. I just want to I want to learn, you know, what all's out there and, and learn to cook on all of it. Why is it that wives don't get the enjoyment of seeing five, six, or ten grills and or smokers out in the backyard like you and I do? I don't know. You know, I, I don't understand that either. But that's <laughs> you know, I've got a uh, I I originally started out with a Traeger Texas grill and. Um, you know, I, I sold that and I bought a, a Weber Weber Performer, which is the kettle with the table attached to it. Then I got a gas grill, and then I thought, wait a minute, if I really want to do barbecue right, I need a smoker. And so I got the 22-inch Weber Smoky Mountain Cooker, which I absolutely love. And then um, Noah Glanville, who owns Pit Barrel Cookers, gave me a Pit Barrel Cooker. So I've got those four, and I go back and forth, and when I have them all out, I think... That looks great, and my wife goes. And my wife is always going. You're not going to leave all of those out there, are you? You're going to put a couple in the tough shed, aren't you? It's like, don't you, don't you just love the way that looks? <laughs> it's like, or don't look at it. You know? It's like, oh, what the heck? You know, you got to do what you got to do to stay married, right? That's right. There you go. Well, the, we won't talk about that. I have well, two barbecue trailers too. So <laughs> if you get all of my equipment together in the same place. <laughs> well, you know, when you're it winning really, when you're winning on the barbecue circuit, I'm sure that goes a long way in keeping the peace. It does. <laughs> <laughs> what are your plans for the fourth of July weekend? Are you cooking or are you just uh cooking and having fun in the backyard? Yeah, well, we're taking it. We take a little break this time of year. We we just come off a twelve straight week run where, um, and it was time we uh, we had to go you know do a little mother in law visit last weekend and and the fourth I think we're just going to stay home and and see some go see some see a fireworks show and maybe throw you know some steaks out on the grill and and relax and enjoy it. Last question: What advice do you give to backyard 
barbecue enthusiasts who want to take take it to the next level from brats and burgers and hot dogs to ribs and chicken and pork butt and brisket? Well, first, don't be scared and intimidated by it because I promise you, anybody can they can start a fire, can can smoke and turn out some some barbecue that's just as you know right there with the competition stuff. And there's a ton of great information out there on the internet. Don't be scared to look it up and ask for advice on some of the forums or you know follow some of the YouTube videos because it's a lot of fun. And the best part about cooking barbecue like like we do is getting to eat it and share it with your friends, share it with your family and your neighbors. And it's it's really great. The camaraderie and the, and the family uh, ties that a lot of this barbecue have is real strong. And, and that's, you know, that's why I'm involved with it. I really enjoy it. And I think that, you know, a lot of people have a passion for barbecue. It's something that everybody's familiar with. So don't be intimidated by anything that, you know, that, that you're throwing on that grill, because I promise you, you can do it. That that's really is great advice. And, you know, I think you get the same feeling that I do when, whether it's, uh, whether it's some pork butt or chicken or, or I cook a lot of ribs. And when you have friends over and they bite into that and they're used to getting ribs either at maybe a, a barbecue place or they buy them, you know, kind of pre-marinated and pre-cooked and all you got to do is cook them in the oven. And they bite into one of the ribs that you've cooked on your smoker and that smile comes across their face and their eyes get a little wider and they go, wow, these are great. That's, that's, a, that's the feeling that you can't get any, anywhere else, any other way. It really is. That, you know, that's, that's a big part of what we do. I mean, when you cook as much barbecue as I do, a lot of times that's the last thing I want to do is eat barbecue. But I love sharing it. And I love, I love you know, getting, that, getting that feedback, that feeling when somebody really, you know, enjoys it as much as the time that I spent. I mean, that means a lot to you. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. Malcolm, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh, we just want to wish you, all of us here at StoryQ, want to wish you the best the rest of the season and for all the seasons that come. Hey, thanks, Frank. I really appreciate it, man. And you're doing a great thing out there. If you ever need anything, give me a shout, please. I will do that, my friend. Hey, that's our podcast this week. Thank you very, very much for tuning in. Again, if you have some comments, if you'd like to be part of our podcast, become one of our podcast partners and be a sponsor for our program, you can contact Laverne at StoryQ.com. And also you can go to StoryQ.com and subscribe to StoryQ Magazine. It's a digital-only monthly publication. And uh, if you're not already a subscriber, check it out. I think you'll really like it. And if you are a subscriber, we want to say thank you. So I'm going to get out there and watch some fireworks. I encourage you to do the same. Be safe. Stay blessed. I'm Frank Erickson. We'll talk to you next week on the Story Cube podcast.